No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. It's normal to sometimes feel like running away from your troubles. But have you ever tried to hide from them in a cave? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares of a time in King David's life when he did exactly that and reveals how he ultimately turned his problems into praise. From his series, Making Sense of It All, here's David to introduce today's message, A Prayer from a Cave. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We're in the midst of a series called Making Sense of It All. Some of the most encouraging passages in the Bible, from my perspective, ones that have helped me and encouraged me, which I hope will be the same for you. As I share these with you and and uh, the insights from these passages, I hope it will lift you up during these days when uh, we could we could let our heads hang down a little bit if we're not careful. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit uses to touch us. One of the things that he uses in my life more than anything else are the stories in the Bible and the pictures in the Bible that that come alive in my heart and mind. This passage from Psalm 142 is one of those. I literally can see David in the cave. I can hear the echo in his voice. I can sense what happens when he gets there and finds all of the underscouring uh, people that have come there when he wanted to be alone. I can feel his emotion, and I hope that when you're finished studying this with me and listening to the passages and the comments we make, that you will get um, a visceral feeling of this as I have, because that's what will help you the most. You will realize that David's already been there and done that, and whatever you're feeling, he's been there before you, and he has a word to encourage you. Hey, during this month, we're telling you about another message of encouragement. It's a book by Rob Morgan called God Works All Things Together for Your Good, Living in the Promise of Romans eight twenty eight. This book, which is over 200 pages in length, takes 28 words from the Scripture and uh, just makes them live and come alive for you as you read it. This is really one of the most encouraging and most helpful books you will ever get. And we want to send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point of any size during the month of February. So make sure you sit down today, make out your gift to Turning Point, and when you send it, be sure to ask for your copy of the book on Romans 8, 28 by Rob Morgan. Well, hey, it's time to go to the cave. Let's get in the cave and see what we can learn. The life of David is a great encouragement to all of us because he mirrors to a great extent many of the expressions and feelings of our own hearts. As you know, David is a man of great faith and a man of great vision, but he's also a man who struggles on occasion with the gap between his belief and his behavior. We saw David at probably the lowest point until the sin with Bathsheba. He has run away from Saul. He has left the security of Samuel. He has found his place before a priest by the name of Ahimelech. 
He defiles himself in many respects before that man of God by lying to him. He eats the showbread because that's all there is available for his sustenance. He involves a man by the name of Dog in mass murder and because of his disobedience to God, the entire priestly line of Ahimelech was destroyed. From that experience, he went to the Philistine city of Gath and there came before Achish, the king of the Philistines. And when he had on the sword that had belonged to Goliath, who was an inhabitant of Gath, the people recognized immediately that this was the David who had killed their hero. And in order to escape with his life, David had to make out as if he were crazy. And the scripture tells us that he banged his head against the door of the cities and he slobbered in his beard. He runs from Achish, and now we find him at the beginning of the 22nd chapter taking refuge in a cave. The 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel is a very interesting chapter because throughout the chapter we see God trying to teach David that he can be trusted by him. In the first two verses we see God trying to teach David that he can be trusted in his own danger, that God is worthy of his trust. In verses 3 through 5, we have an interesting experience where David takes his parents to Moab and leaves them with the king of Moab so that they will take care of his parents while he's in trouble, while he's a fugitive from Saul. It's quite interesting to discover that he took his parents to Moab because that was the place where his grandmother, Ruth, had been. And he no doubt had relatives there and knew about the city. The rest of the chapter, beginning at the sixth verse, shows how God can take care of a person when it seems like every evil thing in the world is against him. But today, I want us to look again at just the first two verses. In my estimation, it is a representative experience for many of us. For most of us are, at one time or another, at the very place where David finds himself. This psalm, Psalm 142, is one of three psalms that David probably wrote from the cave experience. Psalm 142, Psalm 57, and perhaps even Psalm 34. We have called these psalms miktim or mikkil psalms. The word is the word that you will find in the superscription over the psalm, and it means a teaching psalm. Psalm 142 is the last of the teaching psalms, and there are 14 of them altogether. In fact, David wrote eight psalms while he was on the run. The psalms of the fugitive David total eight in number. And these three that we're going to look briefly at today were written by David while he was running from Saul and hiding out in a cave. Now in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, we are told that David is in the cave of Adullam. And there are two caves into which David finds his refuge. One is the cave of Adullam, which takes place in that which we're going to look at today. And the other is called the cave of Engede. And that's where David cut off Saul's skirt when Saul didn't know he was around and then used that to prove that he wasn't Saul's enemy. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 22 that David departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. 
Now, most scholars believe that Saul had levied a heavy tax upon the inhabitants of Israel. And many of these people who were in debt and discontented and distressed were victims of the high taxation and were struggling for their very existence. They were friends of David from the past. And when they heard David was in exile hiding out in the cave, they decided to go join him. It should be evident to all of us at once that this was not your one-man cave. The cave of Adullam is still in existence today, and if you were to go and visit it, you would discover that the mouth of the cave is some 20 feet wide, and the height of the cave is some 40 feet, a place quite large enough for 400 people together. It is also interesting to discover that when the word got out of these 400 men who had gathered to David in the cave of Adullam, that they began to grow in number for when you come to the 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel and verse 13, you will learn that this number has now grown to 600 men. And no doubt all of them are still described by these words, distressed, debtors, discontent. What a group. What a wonderful bunch of people to have come and minister to you when you're down. I couldn't help but think this week that in this situation, David is like Robin Hood and these men are like the Contras. What a group. Renegades, rebels. And they have all come there because David is there. Now David has become their leader. I do not know which of the Psalms David wrote first from the cave, but it seems apparent that he wrote Psalm 142 first. And so if you have your Bibles open to the Psalms in Psalm 142, we need to look at what's going on in the mind of David as he experiences this cave experience. Some of you may say to me, Pastor, what do I care about what goes on in a man's heart when he's in a cave? And perhaps you have forgotten that all of us have our caves, every one of us. For some of us, it is the cave of physical distress and infirmity. For others, it's the cave of financial reverse and discouragement. For still others, it's the cave of family distress and upheaval and rebellion. I don't know what the cave is for you, but everyone has them. Everyone moves in the direction of the cave on occasion. We cannot escape them. There are moments when we are down under all of the pressures of life and we seek for refuge. I cannot help believe that David went to that cave to be alone. He wanted to get away from everybody. And the next thing he knows, he's surrounded by all of these Wonderful counselors that have come to be a part of his life. And because David is a poetic fellow, he tells us what he feels. I have a poet in my family. It's my oldest daughter, Jan. And when she writes me letters, they are so rich with color and beauty. And I know everything that's going on in her heart. She's the most descriptive of all the Jeremiah's. I don't have to doubt about what she feels because she puts it down in writing and she does it beautifully. And that's the poetic genius of David. You know, if it had been me, I would have just said in a little subscription, you know, life in the cave is the pits. (laughs) And let it go at that. (laughs) David put down in writing everything he felt, what he was going through, what it was like, what his emotions were. And I'm glad he did because it helps me comprehend what was going through his heart at the time. It also helps me to see how he dealt with it. In the 142nd Psalm, David talks about the condition of his soul during this period of time. He was, first of all, disoriented. Notice what it says in your Bible in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Do you know what that means? 
The Hebrew of that particular phrase literally says, in the muffling of my spirit upon me. David felt like some fierce flood had rushed down upon him. He can barely stand up against the might of it. He's overwhelmed. He's disoriented. When my way and my spirit is so wrapped in trouble and gloom, so muffled with woe, my powers of judgment are baffled. Literally, that's what it means. He's disoriented. Have you ever gone through disorientation? (laughs) I don't know exactly what it's like at its total depth, but it's something like coming home from a trip and seeing your desk piled high with papers. And walking in and sitting down and looking at them all and sort of feeling like, there's too much. There's no way. I know I should start this. I don't know where to start, so I don't think I will. So you just sit there and look at them. Only David's disorientation is at a much deeper level. He's so cumbered with problems and difficulties. He's being chased by the king of Israel with the army of Israel. And now he's got all these sorry people around him that he doesn't really want, but that have come down to be a part of him, and he ends up being their leader. He's got all these personal problems, probably overrun with guilt because of the death of Ahimelech's family. And he says, I just, I'm just disoriented. Say, have you been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever gone through that part of the cave? David said when... He continued to think about his situation. He went through a period of total desertion, feeling as if he was all alone. This is probably the saddest verse in the Psalms. Look at the fourth verse. He said, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Now, wait a minute, David. There are 400 people and more are coming every day. What do you mean nobody's around? How can you be surrounded by people and be alone? I'll never forget a trip my wife and I took one time years past to London. And we went to Piccadilly Square right in the rush hour when all the work got out and everybody was running for the train. And we were standing right in the middle of a million people, they said. And we didn't know a soul. And I got in the train and Donna kind of got caught in the crowd, and I had a hold of her hand, but I couldn't see her. And I wasn't going to let go of her hand because I thought I might never see her again. And I finally held on to her and pulled her body in, and we got in the train, and we were smushed in with all those people, and I felt very, very alone, surrounded by more people than I'd been in the presence of in all my life, and yet very much alone. Sometimes our problems can do that to us, can't they? David said, I looked on my right hand. Who am I going to talk to? I looked on my left hand and they don't understand. You know what he said? There's not one person in this whole group that cares for my soul. I don't know what there is about a problem, but problems have a tendency to isolate us from others. We build a shell around ourselves and sometimes to our own undoing. We believe that we are unique in that situation. So who can we tell and who will understand And the more we think on it, the more certain we are that there's not a person in the world who would ever totally understand what we're going through. So, though we're surrounded by people, we feel very much alone. I can think back on some problems that I've experienced as a father, as a pastor, when I would deeply desire to have talked to somebody but just didn't know how to go about it, wondering if anybody would really understand He's totally abandoned, he's hunted by Saul, and he feels alone. And then, because of all of this, David gets depressed. 
In the sixth verse is the best description for depression I have ever found in the Bible. It's exactly what the word means. He said, I am brought very low. What is depression? Well, if you make a depression in something, you press in on it and you leave an indentation. When the soul is depressed, when your spirit is depressed, when you are emotionally depressed, it is a low point in your emotional cycle and you get very low. David said he had gone through depression. I don't know if I've ever been depressed. I'm not easily depressed, not really easily discouraged, but I've probably been close enough to it to know that I don't want to be. And I've counseled with people who have suffered with chronic depression. And I know that it is a very, very heavy burden to bear. It is what is causing hundreds and thousands of high school young people, teenagers, to end their lives because they see no hope or any reason to go on because of family problems or because of total despair over the future of their own lives because of a lack of purpose and concern for spiritual truth. They look around at a world and to them it's not worth fighting and they get so depressed that finally they despair of their own lives and they're killing themselves by the dozens. David was depressed. All of his hope and all of his joy is gone. The thoughts of his problems have turned inward and now they're no longer out here. Now they're in here. It's no longer Saul is chasing me. It's no longer the 400 men are surrounding me. All of that has somehow come into his spirit and it resides within his own emotions. He may not even be aware that anybody else is around. He is so down and depressed and discouraged. Sometimes we think depression is sin. And there are occasions perhaps when it is. But as I've read the history of the great preachers, I've been overwhelmed to discover how many of them had great, great difficulty with depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher, would oftentimes get so depressed that he would have to take two to three months off from his ministry and go to the French Riviera just to be by himself and not even think about anybody or talk about anybody till he finally came out of it. Elijah was depressed, remember, after his great mountaintop experience. Jonah was depressed after he was confronted by God in his disbelief of God's will. I could name others in the Bible. Moses was depressed. Many of God's people have been depressed. David's depressed. And because of that, he has given up. He's just given up. He's in the midst of this situation. He doesn't see any way out. He doesn't see any hope. And so in verse 6, he just kind of looks at the problem and he says, My persecutors are stronger than I am. You see what David has done now, I want you to listen carefully. He's added up the score. He's put everything down over on this side of the ledger. He's looked at all of his problems and you can just see him mentally listening to them. He's got all these people and he's got Saul and he's got this problem and he's got his guilt over what's happened. And he's the king elect, but it doesn't going to happen that way. And he lists all these things down and he looks at him and he said, listen, there's no hope. When I look at everything that's wrong in my life, every problem I have, I just, I've totaled it up and I'm telling you, I'm going to lose. So he describes his experience in the last verse as being in prison. Wait a minute, David, you're not in prison, you're in a cave. Yes, I know, but sometimes your caves become your prisons, don't they? 
Sometimes the problems you go through literally incarcerate you in the midst of them and you can't get out and there's no way to look and you don't know what to do. And David is right there in his life. This is his low point and he's telling us what it's like. He's telling us honestly what he feels. And we can identify with it because we've walked with him through all these experiences. David is a man after God's own heart. And so when he thinks about Ahimelech the priest and that whole family being annihilated because of his rebellion, David just so overwhelmed with it all. And if we read the psalm, we, we sure identify, don't we? Some of you here today have been right where David was, and some of you are there right now. You may think, I've been reading your mail. You may think, I've been listening to your conversations because I've just described what's happening with you. Well, folks, I don't want to leave you there. The thing that's so great about this psalm is David kind of works his way through it. I want to just show you the beginning and the end of the psalm, and then I want to take you through the steps in between. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord. Verse 7, thou shalt deal bountifully with me. How did David get from the depths of depression to the confidence that he shows in the last verse? Well, at the risk of being very simplistic, let's just watch carefully the steps he walked through. And these are steps which we too can experience. First of all, he verbalized what was going on in his life. I have come to this psalm often and read it often because it reminds me of all the things I don't like to do when I have problems. And I'm reminded that David was a man of God who followed these principles in his own life and shows us the way that we should go when we have difficulty. If you will look through the psalm, you will notice it over and over again. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord. Verse 2, I poured out my complaint. Verse 5, I cried unto thee. Verse 6, attend unto my cry. What is David doing? He's telling God what's going on. You say, doesn't God know? Oh, yes, he knows. Why is it so hard for us to do that? Why do we struggle? Some of you have a problem that's overwhelming to you. It's bigger than you can bear. But you cannot bring yourself to tell anybody what's happening. And you haven't even told God. Before God, we speak our minds fully and name the problems and the people that plague us. Why do we do that? First of all, I do it because the best friend I have in the universe is the God of heaven. He knows. And I can say to him anything that's in my heart. Isn't that what a true friend is? A true friend is somebody to whom you can go, pour out your heart, and say everything that you want to say And as one writer has said, they will keep the wheat and blow the chaff away. Do you have anybody that you can get in the car with and lock the door, roll up the windows and drive off? And when you get to one of those points up there that overlooks, you pull the car off and you turn and you vent. And you say, I want to tell you what is going on in my life. Here's what I feel. And you can scream if you want to. And holler and cry. That's what God is for us. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very spiritual. But I want to tell you something. You can't get to verse 7 if you don't walk through that step until you get to the place where you can tell God what you feel as honestly as you know how to say it. And I'm not talking about chronic complaining or negative begging of God. I'm simply saying oftentimes we don't come to God with our problem. We don't cry out to God from the cave. 
How about a plea for a little bit of honesty in our praying? And if you wonder if that's okay, you just go read the Psalms. David's Psalms are an illustration of that. As I've told you many times, they all start out with a cry and they end with praise. They start out with a plea and they end with thanksgiving to God for having heard their request and helping them. I hope you will understand these are Psalms that start with a sigh and end with a song. And if you want to pray like David, you will learn how to do that by reading his prayers, which basically make up the book of Psalms. We'll be back tomorrow with the second half of a prayer from a cave. We'll have to leave poor David in that cave overnight, but we'll be back tomorrow and we'll catch up with the rest of his story. On Thursday and Friday of this week, we're going to talk about facing our fears with faith. And we have several other messages before February is over. And speaking of February being over, as you know, it's one of the short months, and so there's not as many broadcast days, which means I don't have as many days as I normally do to tell you about the opportunity that you have to get a copy of the book by Rob Morgan entitled, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. This book will lift you up. This book will explain things you've never had explained before. It will help you understand the working of God in your life, even when things don't feel right to you every day. When you make your gift today, ask for the book on Romans 8:28, and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. We thank you so much for your support. It's because of what you do that we can do what we do. And we'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Making Sense of It All, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book of comfort and encouragement. God works all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Making Sense of It All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Can you think of anything else in life that takes three years to learn to use and then the rest of your life to use correctly? Anything else? 
besides the human tongue? I've tried, and I can't. But the Bible points out that the tongue is not just a problem, it is also a blessing. And there's the challenge. After spending three years learning to speak, we spend the rest of our life learning to use the tongue to bless people instead of upset them. But speech flows from the heart, Jesus said. So, we finally get to the heart of the problem with the tongue. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's heart solutions on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.